0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. Um, And before we actually get back into this text, I want to have one more um, unofficial announcement is that uh, this Wednesday in the afternoon, a couple weeks ago, David Kang and I met with a couple employees at LG, uh, these Christian brothers who reached out to us. They want to use our building on Wednesday afternoons as a time to, to pray together, to, to read God's word together. Uh, so. We met with them, and they're, they're really dear uh, brothers, and they want to also and welcome other people from LG and their lunch hour to come over here. So if you are free on Wednesday at noon, you're more than welcome to join us. There's no pressure, uh, but it'll be about an hour because they got to get back to work, and so we want to be mindful. You can bring lunch if you want, and we'll eat, and we'll sing, we'll pray together, we'll read some scripture together as well. So I uh, just want to open that up to you all and, uh, and see where the Lord might do with that time and space, all right? So with that, let's go to Lord in prayer, even as we uh, open God's word to study and consider it. Father, I thank you for this gathering of your people. I thank you for the privilege to study and uh, hear from your word. And I pray that you would meet us in this moment, that your spirit would speak even through me to the hearts of your people, and that we would be built up, encouraged, challenged, and reminded of your... Your care, your provision, your knowledge of our situation, your tenderness, your sufficiency. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if you go into my office, you'll see hanging on the wall a piece of art that my son Trevor, along with the help of Kirsten's dad, made for my birthday a couple years ago. And I absolutely love it. it uh, and as the dude would say, it really ties the room together. Um, it is beautiful and creative, but when they told me what it is, it made me love it even more. Uh, these are the sound waves of the opening of Bob Dylan's 1964 iconic song, "The Times They Are Changing." The song came to represent and to be an anthem for the 1960s countercultural movement and more significantly for the civil rights movement in America. The opening lyrics go this way, come gather round people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to you is worth saving and you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are changing. Dylan, from 1960 even to 2023, um, has been touted as the voice of a generation. He's tried to shake off that moniker re- repeatedly, but the reality was that he was on to something. There were times, the times they were changing, as they always do. It's been said that the one constant thing in life is that things change. And this song was a call to awareness. It was a call to participation. And the anticipation for the changes that needed to be made, again, particularly within the civil rights movement. In our time this morning, I want to spend more time, spend some time thinking about change. In the life of our church, we are in a season of change. The times they are are certainly changing. More specifically, we can call this time of change what some have dubbed it as a liminal space. If you've ever heard that word liminal space, could you raise your hand? Thank you for three people. I love it. But it's an in-between time. In our our time this morning, I want to invite you to consider a couple questions with me. One, what is liminal space? Two, how does God use liminal space? And then three, what does this space offer us, and then how do we receive it? So what is it? How does God use it? What does it offer us, and how do we step into that offer? Like I said, liminal space is an in-between space. It's an in-between moment. The word liminal actually comes from the Latin word limon, which means threshold. It's connected to the word subliminal. Um, also, if you that might sound familiar. Think of it like this. When you leave a room to go into another room, you walk through the threshold, the doorway. And in that threshold, you are out of one room, but not yet in the other. And that's what this is. This liminal space is this in-between moment. And and it's not just a physical concept. It's also one that touches uh, many of us on an emotional level, a psychological level, a relational level. Let's think about it. We experienced this in-between time in March 2020, didn't we? When COVID hit, when much of life was put on pause, when the lockdown was in full swing, we experienced liminal space. Normal life had ended, and what was to come was not yet known. And it had a deep impact on our lives, didn't it? On our pers- uh, personally, relationally, vocationally, even spiritually. If you've ever left your job to begin a new one, whether you were, it was your choice or you, you were fired, you've, you've, you've experienced this liminal space for the youth that are in high school. When you left eighth grade to begin high school, that summer in between was a liminal space. How, how, is, how is this experience going to be different? For those that have graduated high school and are in college, you know that what is college going to be like? Who, what's it going to be like to live on my own? That, that, that anticipation of what was to come, you sit in that liminal space, that in-between moment. When you graduate, if you graduate college and you begin a career, how will that change? What is the real world like? I told Jeremiah and Allison I'm going to pick on them. They're, they're engaged. They're in a liminal space. They're, they're in between being single and married. Some of you have experienced a breakup where you've been in a relationship, but now you're not, in, and, and what's the future going to be? That's a liminal space. In my own life, death has caused this, a created a liminal space. This past Friday would have been my parents' 50th anniversary. My mom is still trying to figure out life without her husband. I'm still trying to figure out life without my dad to pick up the phone and call. There is this in-between space that we, we experience in life. As a church, we're in a liminal space. A few weeks ago, Maranatha used so lovingly and beautifully sent the Malangas off for the blessing to New Hampshire. And while their departure was not unexpected, their leaving was a definite break from the status quo of life at Maranatha. So now we're in the process of interviewing and looking to hire a new pastor. And the reality is much of what makes MGC MGC will remain, but it will also be different. We don't know exactly what the difference will look like yet, but we know what will be. We haven't arrived in that next room yet. Liminal space, this in-between, occurs when there's an interruption, often an unexpected change to our current situation, the status quo. Even as I just shared a couple examples there are countless other examples. And I want you to I want to invite you to consider a time when you were in liminal space. When were you in the threshold between one moment and the next? I'm aware that some of you are probably in that moment even this week. So as you hold that moment in your mind, I really do not just want you to passively think about it. I actually want you to put it in the front of your mind and look at it. What did it feel like? How did you react? What was stirred in your heart in those moments? These moments often produce anxiety, don't they? They produce fear. What's going to happen next? Sometimes they stir up anger and frustration. They provoke that part of us that doesn't like being out of control. So as a result, we often feel unsettled and Disoriented and disconnected and dislocated. For some of you, I'll put my hand up here, it makes me want to run and escape. To hide. I want to hide until the uncertainty or or the, the uncomfortable feeling is gone. Am I alone? All right. For others, we you try to numb it, to numb this discomfort through video games, through TV, through eating, through pornography, through social media. You self-medicate with alcohol, smoke some weed, some other substance, take a gummy, whatever it is. We try to numb it. The reality is is these seasons can leave us distraught and feeling empty and adrift without a clear sense of the future. They often make us turn us to the past and long for something nostalgic or fret for what has not yet come. But one of the realities is that they don't let us sit in the present. We are either distracted by the past or obsessed with what's to come, and then as a result, we are scattered. Is this feeling familiar to anyone? Yes? Okay. Am I on to something? So you think about the the life of Maranatha. What are you thinking about? What are you feeling? Uncertainty? Nervous about who might come to be the new lead pastor? Some of you might be angry that we find ourselves here again. Just to let you know those are all valid feelings, not condemning any of them. Some of you might be closing yourselves off and looking at your options so that if it doesn't go your way, you can cut and run. Maybe there's even genuine excitement and hopefulness. Whatever it is, I, again, I, I welcome them. I want just to be aware of them. To not shove them down. Again, I invite you to acknowledge and own what you're feeling, not minimizing it, not discrediting it, discrediting it. But thinking about your thinking about them, sitting in them, being present to them, being aware of them. And as you do, I want to move to this second question. So what is liminal space? It's this in-between time that often comes in unexpected and, and, and unexpected times and in unexpected ways. So how does God, number two, how does God use this space? I imagine some of you might be thinking, hey, John, when are you going to get to the Bible and stop with the psychobabble stuff? And I hear you. So here we go. God's word actually has a lot to say about this space. By way of example, we actually see lots of liminal spaces in Scripture. Think about this. Abraham and Sarah, in between the time that they were promised the son and the birth of Isaac. Think about Joseph waiting in jail after the cupbearer is given, freed, and then, hey, don't forget about me. And then that time he's forgotten about until Pharaoh calls his name. The Israelites in the wilderness, life between being slaves in Egypt, but not yet in the promised land. David being anointed king, even while Saul was still enthroned, he had to wait years before it would be his turn to come to the throne. Even the Israelites in exile, when they were taken out of Jerusalem, brought to Babylon and then the time before they would come back. That was a liminal space. We can even see Jesus' whole ministry this way. As this time before, the time before being that he was at the, the the right hand of the Father, and the time after when he ascends that we read in this, uh, Nina read a very long passage, thank you so much, Nina, that we read in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends back to the throne, that whole three years of ministry was a liminal space. We can actually boil it down even more and look at his time being tempted in the wilderness. He Before that is, he had been growing up Gets baptized, the Lord, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness, is what Mark, Mark's gospel says. For these 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted before he actually begins his ministry. So that, that wilderness temptation is in between the beginning and the, before and after his call to ministry. So it's this, this middle space in preparation for his ministry, rather. And in our passage today, we see another example of this limited space. Luke picks up where he left off in his gospel, and we we read of Jesus with his disciples as as he's about to ascend. So if you still have your Bible open, I'd invite you to keep it open to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to work through this fairly quickly. But this is what his final instructions are to his disciples before he ascends in verse 4. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized, you, you, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus tells them to wait for the promise. That The promise is the very power of God. The, the, the Spirit was going to come upon them in this mighty way. And this prompts the disciples to ask the question that they had been hoping and longing for for years. Hey, Jesus, now's the time when the promised kingdom is going to be restored, right? That you're going to be recognized as the, the, the true and rightful king, Right? Israel had been under colonial rule. They had been waiting for generations for this promise to be fulfilled. The Messiah had come. So it made sense for them to be thinking this way. All right, now's the time. But Jesus, as Jesus typically does, he doesn't answer their question. <laughs> Directly, anyway. Rather, he says in verse 7. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you catch what Jesus is saying? that there is going to be a new way to be my disciple. There's going to be a new way to follow me. They were going to keep following him, but it wasn't going to be like it was before. He's not going to be in bodily form on the earth with them at every, turn, at every step of the way. He would be with them, but now it was, it was through the presence of his very spirit And this reality was fully realized when Jesus is taking them to heaven to remain at the right hand of the Father until the time of his return. And although Jesus had prepared the disciples for this very moment, he had told them about it, instructed them, and no doubt the sight of Jesus departing in their very presence, watching him ascend to heaven be caught up in the sky, I have no idea what that would be like. It must have released all sorts of thoughts, emotions, worries, questions. I can imagine just them being stunned by the sight as they stood and watched Jesus being raised in the sky trying to understand both as disciples but as also humans with human brains and you know I don't understand physics at all but they did have a general sense of gravity and physics. How is this guy being lifted to the sky? They had real questions. They're at the threshold they're at the threshold of life after Jesus' physical presence with them. The times they are changing And accounts like these, when we read them, for many of us that have grown up in the church, it's easy to think about, oh, I know this story. And you just pass over it. But I find it helpful to try to place myself in that story. What would it have been like to hear those words from Jesus, to see him ascend, to stand in awe? Consider the weight of being called to be one of his witnesses, which is where we get the word apostles from, for Jesus to the ends of the earth. Think about that. It must have been beautiful, overwhelming, surreal all at the same time. It's not hard to believe that they stood there looking up into the sky because they've already, they already miss him. Do you remember what Mary Magdalene did at the garden on Resurrection Sunday? When she saw Jesus, when she recognize it was him, What did he, she fell down at his feet and hugged his feet. Why? It was a way to say, I'm not letting you go again. I think them staring into the sky was saying, we don't want to let you go again. It was hard enough 40 days ago. And now again? Like that U2 song. They were stuck in the moment and they couldn't get out. For the U2 fans, three of you. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. They needed someone to come and tap them on the shoulder. That's what these heavenly beings do. I don't see these heavenly beings, I've often read this passage, to be honest, of saying as these heavenly beings shaming the disciples. What are you doing standing there? He's gone. Get, get to work. Anybody else read it that way? hey, let's not be scared to put our hand up in the air or say amen or something so we can all know I'm. because I don't think I'm alone. But what if it's a sign of God's grace? What if it's the Lord's tenderness to meet them in this moment? Tapping them on the shoulder and say, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up, up from you into heaven, he's going to come back. The same way he went up, he's going to come back. But for you, you know what you're to do. They were helping the disciples, these these apostles, embrace the moment. To take it in and to invite them into this liminal space. They wanted to remain in the the, the other room. And they weren't yet into the new one. The heavenly beings are saying, hey, Stand in this moment right now. Things are changing. And the disciples, they didn't resist, but embraced the invitation. They returned to Jerusalem, as we read, and to the upper room where they had been staying, along with others. And from verses 12 to 26, they they do two things. They pray continually. And two, they replace Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, with Matthias as one of the apostles. They're waiting. This in-between time wasn't a time of just passivity. Rather, it, they, they weren't just wringing their hands and going, oh, what are we going to do? They weren't trying to manufacture, uh, oh, how are we going to keep the message of Jesus going on our own? This time in between was an invitation from God to wait upon him for them to open themselves up to him, to make themselves ready, internally and as a group, for when God would move. It was an, it was an opportunity, friends, hear me, hear, hear me here. It was an opportunity to lay down the illusion of control. It was, in, it was a time to embrace their weakness and their need. It was an invitation to risk in faith that God was going to meet them and to provide all that they needed. In the beginning of chapter 2, and then through the rest of the book, the the book of Acts is fully called the Acts of the Apostles. What we see is God show up after this in-between time, but it's not before that. God was going to show up and transform the world, but also the apostles themselves. So how does God use liminal space? Here's the answer. He uses it to challenge and to change the status quo in our lives. Which often reveals who and what we're really trusting in. It reveals that we're not really in control the way that we think we are and thus highlights our weakness and our need. Liminal space is so often uncomfortable. It's scary. It's destabilizing. Friends, it's meant to be that way. Speaking about liminal space and its purpose, one writer says this. He says, the role of religion is to bring us into this sacred space, not to lead us to comfortability in the normalcy. Let me read that again. The role of religion is is to bring us into this sacred space, not lead us into comfortability in the normalcy. By sacred space, he means the place where God meets us. Liminal space brings us into that sacred space. That same person later says the threshold, the liminal space is God's waiting room. So when we so often when we experience this change, we don't see it as an invitation. We see it as an inconvenience. We see it as an obstruction to what what the way that our life should go. We see it as something to be avoided. So we rush to fix the situation because we want to avoid any discomfort or awkwardness or feeling like things are out of control. Maranatha, can we talk honestly with one another? Many of us, myself included, many of us in this very room value comfort, convenience, and control more than transformation. Many of us in this room, including myself, I'm raising both hands, value comfort, convenience, and control more than transformation. We want joy and growth, but not if it is going to require more of me than I want, if it's going to challenge my current situation. And as a result, we live in the comfortability in the normal. What's safe? In other words, we stay on the mountaintop, staring up at the sky. We return to Galilee, where it was comfortable. We make our own plans. But what's the consequence of this? Friends, I've talked to too many of you to not not realize that this is even more widespread than just a handful of you. We want joy, but we don't have it, so we pretend. Because what we really want is comfort. So we want God, and we go, why is the Christian life not so joyful? It's because we want it on our terms. So the consequence is that we actually don't really meet the living God in a transformative way that fills us with any sense of awe and reverence and boldness. We just squeak by and and, and lie to ourselves and say, this is what Jesus says for me. I've said this multiple times, even from this public, I'm tired of that. It's lame and it's a lie. Friends, this isn't why Jesus came that we would just have convenient, safe lives. He wouldn't, he didn't come that we would just have an easy one. He came that we would have an abundant life that comes through a living, dynamic relationship with Him. Jesus was died, He was buried, He ascended to the Father, He brought us back to God. He spent, He sent His Spirit to call us out of the smallness of our little world into the bigness of his grace-filled one. And one of the ways that he does this on a regular basis is by interrupting our lives. Changing the situation in such a way that demands us to make a choice. Are we going to continue to live the way that we've been living or are we going to abandon ourselves to him? Let's admit it, friends. Most of us are like water. We prefer the path of least resistance. God often unexpectedly changes things for us because he knows that we won't on our own. He answered the the apostle's question, hey, are you going to restore Jerusalem now? but not in the way that they wanted. Hey, here's how it's going to go. It's going to be a longer ramp. You're going to be more involved than you thought. So when we find ourselves in this liminal space, this in-between space, it's my invitation from the Lord to say, let's see it as that. It's an opportunity to wait on him, to call out in weakness, in need, and in faith. It's an invitation to acknowledge the present moment with all of its attendant fears, anxieties, concerns, desires, frustrations, and bring them into the very presence of God. Jesus is not just interested in the parts that look clean and neat and tidy in your life. He actually knows all of them, and he goes... All of your shadow selves, the ones that you try to hide in the closet, he says, they're welcome to the table too, so I can redeem them. It's an invitation to take a risk that as, that as we step out in faith, as we wait on him, that he's actually going to show up. Friends, you could resist by imposing your will and your way To worry and to blame, to mask or escape the hardship and the pain or the difficulty of waiting. You can plug your ears and hum a song until it passes. You can resist. But why would you? Do you see what God offers in the next room? it blows the doors off of what they thought was going to happen. Globally, as well as personally. This brings us to our last questions. What does liminal space offer us as a church and you individually? And how do you step into it? Whenever we come to the threshold, we're invited to Consider where we are, where we've been, and what are we, where are we longing to go. It's an offer to gain perspective and clarity. No doubt the, mount, the apostles coming off the mountain and walking to Jerusalem was filled with conversations about what they had seen and learned and experienced. They no doubt reflected on the promises of God and and the new moment they found themselves in. The change of the status quo is a way to get fresh perspective on life. So many of us are going at such a rapid pace that unless something changes, we have no time to take stock in our lives, our hearts, our relationships. When was the last time you actually considered the trajectory of your heart, your life, beyond just your finances, your careers, or you're your, your matching your schedule with friends and family? The Lord uses liminal space to invite us into deeper reflection and awareness about where we're going and what do we want. Liminal space invites us to open ourselves to the Lord. The apostles could have tried in their own way to be witnesses in their own power, but we know what would have happened. It would have been terrible. It was in their recognition of weakness and need that God actually shows up. So they devoted themselves in prayer, uh, uh, clearly showing that they are humbly submitting themselves to God, seeking his will, Seeking his faith, seeking his help, his comfort, his wisdom, his power. They didn't rush to do lots of things, they sat in God's presence. They opened themselves up to him. They did appoint a new apostle. That wasn't them taking the role of God. They were going, all right, God's, Jesus has told us what we're doing. Let's ready our, our our world so that when we're called, we can go. They're still opening themselves up to the Lord. They're waiting on his, his guidance and direction in prayer. And then Peter goes, Hey, let's, let's in, we need to replace that there would be 12 apostles, symbolic of the 12 tribes. And so they 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 even in their, their looking, it wasn't like, hey, who's got the best resume? They still waited on the Lord to to, to call Matthias. But often we so busy ourselves and try to work the angle. Of, oh, how how can I get out of this situation? How can I end and end the discomfort sooner rather than sitting president and, and opening ourselves up to the Lord? This liminal space, when rightly understood, is an opportunity to sit in God's presence and say, hey, my doors are open to you, Lord. Show me your way. And I've said before, it's an invitation to take a risk. Liminal space is an offer to grow in faith and wholeheartedness. The apostles show us what risk looks like. And considering the situation with this, their fresh perspective, by opening up themselves to the Lord in vulnerability and weakness, they take a risk to believe that God is going to show up. We often talk about saving faith, and we rightly should. There is no salvation under heaven outside of looking to Jesus in faith. And if you have never trusted Jesus from the youngest to the oldest in this room, I plead with you to turn from your sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation. One of the aspects of faith that I don't think we talk about very often is daily faith. We talk about picking up our cross and have daily faith, but I don't think we recognize really what that means. Myself included. And it's been a couple years that I've been really thinking much more about this. True faith is a daily faith that actually relies on the Lord daily. In all situations, in all circumstances, liminal moments bring us into this need. They show our need for this, our need for God in stark relief to the way that we've been living. It's a risk to believe that God's going to meet you when you lose your job. Or he will comfort you and carry you when you lose a loved one. It takes a risk to believe that what he calls you to, in ministry, in relationships, in vocation, that he will provide what you need when when you need it. Liminal space is a chance to grow in faith and watch God work. As a church, friends, here we go. Land in the plane. The times there are changing. Here's the invitation for us as Maranatha. We can see this season as a gift from God. It's a time to consider how he has brought us through so many seasons and remembered us, met our needs time and time again so that we can trust him for the next one. It's a gift in that it reminds us that unless the Lord builds the house, the workers build in vain. We can be nervous and wonder what the future will look like. But we can also have excitement and hope knowing that God is in this moment. In fact, he's called us into it. In a similar way, in, this is a season where we can set our clocks. Even as today is daylight saving time, we had reset clocks. How many of you didn't know an Apple just did it for you? <laughs> many of us... We can set our clocks to God's timing and not our own. We need not rush, but we can wait on him. He can teach us patience and dependency. I've said it multiple times, but I'm convinced now more than ever that God doesn't value efficiency the way that we do. He values dependency. And so as we see this season as a gift and wait on him, we can acknowledge our need and our weakness. We don't know the future. God does. There are so many variables that are outside of our power to control. But what we can do, it's like the apostles, we can pray. We can align our hearts with His, we can seek His counsel and His will. We can work to to get things in order for when He does move. And when he does, we can act and step out in bold faith as he brings us into a new season. Friends, I'm aware that some of you, you're in this liminal space now where you're looking down the line and you know one's coming, or you've just recently come out of one. Here's what it offers us individually. It's an invitation to recognize that you're in this space between. That you can actually be present to where you are, not longing for the past or just missing the present because you're hoping for things to just change magically in the future. I want you to take note of those emotions that you have. Anxiety, worry, fear, anger, sadness, joy, excitement, weakness. How many of us, mine included, that I'm often going so quickly that I I, I fail to ever check in with myself? Or we go, oh, I'm not allowed to feel that one. That's not true. Our our emotions often lead us down into what our heart is really longing for and looking to. Don't dismiss them or minimize them. I've told a bunch of people here, you know, emotions are like kids in a car. You don't let them drive the car, but you don't put them in the trunk either. (laughs) They have a rightful space in our life. And I also am aware that, talking to many of you, a lot of you growing up didn't have space to express or be present in that for whatever reason. I don't think that's from the Lord. I invite you into that, even in this season. And bring them to the Lord in honesty and in need. Even acknowledge to the Lord your desire to resist the change in the future. Sit in those feelings and bring them to the Lord. I was helped by this by a guy named Bob Hudson, who, who, who leads a ministry called the Cross Ministry. And he, he said, sit in them and be curious about why you want to resist. Ask questions about what you're really going after, what you really want. What has this change stirred up in me? Why am I resistant to being weak and in need? And follow that, those thoughts and those emotions, those, to, the, to the deep longings of your heart. And as you're there, bring them to the Lord and invite Jesus in to show you how he meets those deep longings and those needs. So be present in this moment. Two. When the status quo of our life changes, it can be disorienting hard. And I invite you to, risk, to take a risk to believe that this season might not be a sign of God's absence. Often when things change and, and it's uncomfortable, we go, where's God? In, the, in, this, in this chapter, what we see is Jesus literally leaves. It wasn't a sign of Jesus' absence with the apostles, though. It was a sign of his active moving. If he does not ascend, the Spirit will not come. Jesus was very much at work. And that is the invitation that we get to. He promised he will never leave you or forsake you. Even this, these two chapters, Acts 1 and 2, we see that God didn't leave them, but was moving in the life of the apostles as they waited on him. Look, let me be clear that this doesn't mean as you wait on the Lord, things are going to get easier on the other side. They might very well get harder. It's not that you're just going to be more comfortable after a season. But that isn't the point. As we learned yesterday, if you were here, or last week, if you were here and heard Pastor Joe Ewan from uh, New Hope. Paul's sufferings and his the many in-between moments were not about Paul just overcoming and and being a better self. Rather, they are about him learning how to experience the power and presence of God even in weakness. That his grace would be known to be sufficient even in those moments. And in these seasons, you don't have to go it alone and grit your teeth and bear it. Friends, you can invite others in. That's what the apostles do. 120 of them gathered in prayer. Even in the uncomfortable parts of life, we can do that. Like, this is going to be a risk for many of you to let others see your weakness and need. Will you take the risk to be seen? to be known to let others speak the word of Christ to you that's actually what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says is the the, 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 the core of Christian community is we are one those who brings bring the word of Christ to one another last one this season may be hard i'm sorry But in it, there's also the offer to become more like Christ, to taste and see that there are deeper realities than what we can see and recognize on our own. It's an offer to step into what God longs to give his children, transformational joy, hope, resilience, peace. You could resist this invitation why would you? Friends, as a church, and maybe even you're in yourself, you find yourself in a liminal space. God has something for us, friends. He cares far more about our church than we do. He cares far more about you than you do. So what do you say? Can we lean in, in weakness and in need, in hope and with bold faith, wait for him to meet us as he has promised to do, even in the in-between. What do you say? And here's a blessing for you. The God who invites us even into these uncomfortable spaces is the same one who has invited us to his table. (laughs) to feast in his very presence. That with his broken body, he bore our sin and shame. Through his blood, he restored a new covenant that all who are in him have a hope that cannot be shaken or destroyed. That he welcomes us into his kingdom that cannot be shaken. Friends, we're about to come to the table And as we do, I want you to hold that bread of Christ's body broken for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you, even to disrupt your life that you would know him all the more. And as you hold that cup, it represents his blood that was shed for you. That he willingly, lovingly, wholeheartedly went to so that you may be washed pure, so that you may come back into the presence of God not as a servant, not as just another human, but as, the, as a loving son or daughter of the one true king. He invites us in through the front door, friends, to come and feast at his table, now just morsels with the promise of a banquet that blows all banquets away. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given it, he had given thanks, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the lord's death until he comes. We can stand in the present moment because of the finished work of Christ in the past and the promise of the future. Friends, if you have not trusted in Christ this this supper this, this table is not for you. I'm not trying to be mean or rude or exclusionary, but rather this is a family meal for those that have been welcomed in the family of God through Jesus. And if you have not trusted in Christ, we would invite you to consider what the Lord's bringing you to even this moment, to consider Jesus as your need for him, your your, your separation from God outside of Christ, and Jesus' finished work to bring you back to him. And we invite you to behold and take hold of Christ at this time, friends, we should look circumspectly at our hearts. We should also come to the, and come in a sober way, confessing sins before the Lord. But we can also come with a hope, with a defiant type of hope, trusting in Christ and longing for what is to come. Father, I thank you for. The in-between moments where you show us our need, our weakness, but they also, they also show us your sufficiency. We thank you for the table that shows us that the price of our redemption and the full welcome that comes with it. Lord, as we come to the table, I pray that you would encourage your saints, your beloved, to come boldly to the table of the King with hearts full of faith and rest in you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.